This is The Journey, a series of interviews by Kathy Wardle with members of St. Joseph Catholic Community who each speak about their faith journey. WSJF will air a new conversation each week. Here's the host of The Journey, Kathy Wardle. Hello, welcome to The Journey today. Our guest today is Peter O'Sullivan, and you might have seen that name somewhere before outside the uh, church, and you will notice the garden there is named after our guest Peter and his wife Jean. And uh, so we're happy to have Peter with us today to hear about his story. Thank you for being with us, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you, Peter. You go by Pete mostly or Peter? My dad was Pete and my son is Pete. I'm Peter. Okay, Bonvolo well, cleared that up. <laughs> well, you know, in the journey, like we've heard uh, in Father John's homily, we love to hear people's stories about how they connected with God, and everybody's story's different. So I guess I'll just start with asking you, how did your story begin? Okay. My story began when I was born. I was a cradle Catholic. I was born into a very strong Catholic family. And uh, uh, mass was never a question. Everybody went to mass. Mom would go in. My father was sick, and he was in a sanatorium. Mm -hmm. He didn't live at home. But mom would come in with the five kids every Sunday to Mass, and uh, that's how we started, and it just went on from there. When I was about six years old, my dad died, mm -hmm. and uh, so that kind of was a little bit traumatic for me, but it brought the family together, mm -hmm. and uh, we went on from there. I had uh, older brothers, 15 and 14 and 10 when I was born, and they wanted no part of the baby. <laughs> at that age. That sounds familiar. <laughs> but my daughter was six, and she was craving a little sister. You mean your sister was six? My sister was six. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she needed a baby sister because she had all those bigger brothers. <laughs> so I became Sarah. <gasps> and to the day she died, I was called Sarah. No. Yeah. Wow. How did, how did that affect you growing older? Well, it was a family joke. Yeah. Yeah, we, it didn't affect me at all. Okay. <laughs> in her eyes, I was always Sarah. I have to ask you this question. Did she dress you up? Well, maybe when I was a baby. I don't know. <laughs> You're glad you don't know that I don't part. remember those years. <laughs> but when I did start in first grade, she was in, in the sixth grade, and I found out I knew everything that the teacher was doing because for six years she had been teaching me what she learned at school. Wow, so you were not only her baby sister, you were her pupil. I was her pupil. <laughs> and thank God I did okay. <laughs> so that was it. That was all life. We all went to St. Mary Magdalene School in Springfield on Long Island. And then uh, the war broke out, World War II, in 1941. And in that year, my brothers, of course, were older. They were up into their 20s. And they were drafted into the army. Mm. All three? All three were drafted. The oldest, Jack, was drafted first. And he was the family breadwinner because we that's, had no dad. That's true. So Vincent, who was the youngest of the three, went to the draft board and said, you can't take my brother from the family. Take me instead. 
So they took Vincent. The following month, they took Jack again. Oh my. So all three of them went in, and I was too young. I was in high school, but uh, I was determined I was going to enlist as soon as I could. <gasps> and I ultimately went into the Marine Corps when I was 18. Oh my, yeah. I've heard this story so many times that, that the, the, the last brother goes too. Well, Vincent was in the Air Corps, flying over Germany. His plane was shot down, and he died on March 16th of 1944. Oh my. That's again another traumatic life experience for, for us. For sure, for sure. But uh, we were, after the war, we brought him home. He's buried with my dad in Long Island. Mm -hmm. And my mom is there with them now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was it. Mm -hmm. So you've had some traumatic experiences in your life. I have. But it never affected my religion. I, that, that was never in question. When I went into the service and boot camp in, in South Carolina, I was an altar boy with the Marines. I had been until I went in, and after I went in, I continued that. So that was always important. When I got out of the service and got out of college, I started to work in New York on Wall Street, and I went to Mass every morning before work. There was a church on Pine Street. And a couple of years later, I went out to lunch with one of the other engineers there, and we saw a couple of girls in the luncheonette. Oh, goody, this is the good part. One of them happened to be Jean. And she didn't want me to see her wearing glasses, so she didn't wear the glasses. <laughs> and she was asking her friend about us. But ultimately, we did begin dating, and we ultimately married. And uh, while we were dating, and the early years of our marriage before the first baby came, she and I both, she worked on Wall Street. We both went to Mass every morning together before work. So it's always been important to us. Yeah, you. it sounds like nothing ever took you off the path. Never, never deviated for any reason. He had no reason to deviate. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, let, let me challenge you with that, not challenge you, but just bring up what so many people deal with, and that is, their belief that God was unfaithful to them when they have tragedy. How hmm. did you get over the tragedies? What did? How did that affect your your understanding of God and His love and all of that? I, I think that was a point where we could reinforce our faith in God because, yeah, He took Vincent, He took my dad, uh, but there was a reason, and some good came out of it for somebody, and. Uh, he he died for a good reason, for a good cause, mm -hmm. and I was able to step in to kind of replace him wow. when I got to be 18. So you stepped in how? How did you step By in? By enlisting. Okay, so stepping into the Army. I'm Okay, I thought you meant the family. So when you um, were raising your own kids, yes. how did you try to instruct them in the faith or encourage their relationship to God. Okay, well again, there was no question about it. We'd go to Mass and we'd have the baby with us. And uh, uh, when Jean Marie was three, Peter was seven, 
and we were transferred to Mexico. We lived in Mexico for two years. So I put them into the American school, but we went to mass as a Catholic church. It was in Spanish. And the first three months that we were there, Jean Marie was spitting out Spanish like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I later found out she was cussing a little bit too because she repeated what the maids said. But uh, no, we, we carried on the faith right, right all those years. In our parish in, in, in New York, I had told the pastor we were going to be away for two weeks, save a seat for my kids when we get back, and he did. Oh, my. So when we went back into Sacred Heart up there, uh, life went on. So how long were you in New York until you went elsewhere? I was born there, and I lived there from 1928 until 1975. In 1975, my company transferred me to Buffalo. So we moved to Buffalo and we were there for 10 years. In 1985, they transferred me to Baltimore. Okay. And then when I retired, we decided we'll stay here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did you belong to a parish then in Buffalo? I we assume. did. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And then Baltimore here, was St. Joseph your parish then? Oh, yes, we moved right into St. Joseph's in 1985. And uh, 1987, I was elected to the parish council. And then Father Ted came, and he appointed me to be minister for parish and community relations. That was an appointment. So I stayed on the parish council for over 25 years in that role. Mm -hmm. That's what most people around here know me from. Okay. What was that like for you? What did you, what did you value about being on that council? Dealing with the community. We we did uh, well coffee and donuts, for example. That's still going on. Uh, we started that in the early years. We used to buy the donuts and sell them. Oh my! Then we decided that's not a right thing to do. We should just give them away, and the parish subsidized it. And then we did blood drives and dinners and all kinds of stuff like that. We sold religious articles at Christmas time, just kind of kept relationships with the community. Mm -hmm. We were there for them and hopefully they were there for us. Well, how, how have you felt um, God loving you through people at St. Joseph or elsewhere? How have you experienced God's reaching to you? Well, through people, yeah. Everybody's been kind and loving and friendly and cooperative and everybody loved Jean. Mm -hmm. She was one in a million. She was a gem. And uh, someone would meet her and immediately a smile would come to their face. Wow. She had that knack. Mm -hmm. She could go into a place and if she saw someone all by themselves, she wouldn't tolerate that. She'd go over and introduce us. I'm Jean, and who are you, and what can we do? She felt a need to do that. Mm -hmm. And so really what you're saying, and, and this I think is probably good for our listeners to hear, is that it doesn't take much to show God's love to mm -hmm. people. I yeah. mean, it takes a smile, reaching out to talk to somebody. That was it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And you get it back. If you're grumpy to somebody, 
you'll get that back. <laughs> but if you welcome them and move them with a smile and say, how you doing? That's what you get back. Oh, that's a wonderful um, equation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You give and it comes right back. Well, that's how I feel. Yeah. Now, um, I wanted to ask you about the Mass itself. Mm -hmm. what, what do you love about the Catholic Mass? Well, from the day I was an altar boy, we used to do it in Latin. And even to this day, I do some of the prayers in Latin as your dad or your the priest is doing it in, in English. I, I just love the Mass. I love the Eucharist. And uh, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Now, if the, the Mass has been special, um, what about religious ed and, and the, the Bible and things like that? Have you um, spent much time with, with any of that yourself? I went to Catholic grammar school and high school. And so I had that education. Uh, my wife did the same. My kids all did that. As a matter of fact, Gerard went through Catholic college at Canisius. Mm -hmm. So they've all been that. As far as religious ed is concerned, when I was a high school student at St. Francis Prep, the parish had the religious ed program going. And the key was if you attended religious ed, you could stay another hour for the dance. So every week, mm -hmm. I was at religious ed, so I could stay for the dance. Oh, so you are a dancer. Yeah, well, as a teenager, I was. Yeah. And then uh, when we were married and living in New York and had the young children, at Sacred Heart, Jean and I did a religious ed program at home for seniors, mm. high school seniors. Mm -hmm. And we did that for a number of years. And it was strictly ad-lib, uh, no formal textbooks, but uh, the kids loved it and we did, we enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So you made up your own curriculum or your own well, yeah, we studies, to the basically. About it. We sure. knew what we were going to do. And, mm -hmm. uh, the kids loved it because I think it was not studying it out of a book, but just hearing it mm. and talking about it. It was different in those days. They didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So you would be probably sharing stories of oh, your yeah. own of our your own, own faith, which our is our own experiences and faith, and then they would have questions. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any of the stories you shared with them? What kind of stories would you share now if you had a study coming into your living room? Well, depending on the kids, whatever was on their mind or bothering them is what we would talk about. Hmm. A lot of times, looking back, they were concerned about mortal sin because they were at an age where they're sexually interested and curious. And they, they would say, well, it's a sin to do things like that, but there are three characteristics of it. It has to be a grievous matter. You have to give it sufficient reflection and you have to give it full consent of your will. Mm. And if none of those are, if one of those is not present, it's not a mortal sin. So they were delighted to hear that. Wow. And we explore that in depth. Oh my, I don't know how that would go over today, but you know, that certainly well, is a hot topic. There are those three conditions. Mm -hmm. It has to be a grievous matter. Mm -hmm. It has to be sufficient reflection is the thing they never did. 
They didn't reflect? They didn't reflect. They just did what they did. (laughs) I don't think that's changed. (laughs) And then full consent of the will. They they knew it and they did it deliberately. That was Mm -hmm. the key. Mm -hmm. So that was probably every year that we had different classes come in, that kind of surfaced. Wow. That was a topic of interest. Oh, certainly. Well, that's the age where these things would certainly show up, that's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what were some other questions that they may have had, or do you think um, teenagers now are dealing with? I don't know the teenagers today that well. I don't associate with them. I don't have any close to me. I have grandchildren, but they're in different cities. But I imagine many of them just don't even give it any thought. Don't give what any thought? Whether they're doing something wrong or not, they mm. just react. They just mm. do stuff. My buddy does it, I'm doing it. And that's how I think they are today. Well, the, the, I guess the official name for that is peer pressure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which has always been around. It doesn't, it's not exclusive to today, that's for sure. But I think the moral standards today are different. Mm. I think they have definitely declined mm-hmm. from what when I was young. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right, and I think I think you know that was my next area to ask you about, and that is, how have you seen um, things change in church over the years, or in people's response to God, people's response to church? Well, when I was younger, with a Latin mass and few distractions, everyone did the same thing. And they all came every Sunday to Mass, and there was no question about it. But then people now started to be lax. They, they, I want to play golf tomorrow, so I'm going to skip Mass because it's a conflict. And I think that attitude is prevalent today where it never used to be. Mm-hmm. And the way they come to dress in, in church. Sunday, you'd always have a shirt and a tie and your shoes, and your women would have a nice dress. You look at the way they come today, it's, in my opinion, it's disgraceful sometimes. Mm-hmm. But that's the attitude. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you think um, the church might do to help people become more interested? Well, you can lecture to them, but it's not going to stick. I think you have to get them when they're young and train them when they're young and then reinforce it. Mm-hmm. But if the parents are lax, the kids are going to be lax. Mm-hmm. And in some communities where there's no father in the home, it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. You can see the crime and everything else. So the family is important. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so that's, if you're going to strengthen things and make things better, I think it has to come from the family. I think you're right, and I think there are a lot of families out there who who need to hear that and mm-hmm. and maybe make some tough decisions. Yeah. You know, you mentioned distractions, and I've heard that before, that there are a lot of distractions now, or that leads to mixed priorities, that their priorities change. Mm-hmm. And so church goes lower on the list to, say, golf and, and other things, Well, right? again, by speaking locally here in our parish with the young people, Sunday morning they have sports. 
they have a soccer game or they have a little league game or they have this, which is more important? Where are the parents? It sounds like in your day and age, that was not an option. It was not. They didn't have sports on the Sunday morning, right? Well, if you had sports on Sunday, they started after one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a system that's uh, working against us in that regard, I yes, think. Yes, we do. You're going upstream. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, you know, there are a lot of um, a lot of people that have just never been raised in the church at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you were blessed to, to be that way. I was, too. So I'm wondering, what would you say to somebody that's just not at all familiar with church and and with God. Who would you say God is to somebody who yeah, well, just is clueless? They're, they're clueless. You can talk about St. Thomas Aquinas and his philosophies and theocracy, but um, there are ways of, in my opinion, basically proving that there is a God. And uh, to someone who's reasonable, you could talk about it and talk about different things, and they don't just happen. It's not just a coincidence that the planets are all organized and so forth. There's a plan (laughs) there. And uh, you get somebody thinking about that. Uh, That might be a channel. Well, that makes me ask you another question, you know, and I'm wondering, have you seen things in your life that you know for sure that God did it? But it wasn't a coincidence that it would had to have been God. Anything come to mind like that? Well, I believe that when just from the scientific viewpoint, uh, the laws of nature, how things reproduce automatically. You can't build a living thing, but it's there and it reproduces itself. So there's a divine source right there. That's true. I think so. So you're a scientist, aren't you? Engineer. That's right. So I just was reminded that that was your background. Yeah. And scientifically, there are definitely proofs. I mean, that beyond what I can say, but mm-hmm. some of the great minds have done that. Well, one other question about that. Do you ever feel like God rescued you from something? I'm sure he did. <laughs> now, he kept me straight when I was on the verge, I'm sure, many times doing something, especially as a teenager and do crazy things. But, uh, yeah, faith brought me through. Yeah, and I think that's really what people need to hear and that faith is real and that it is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that's one of the, the quotes that I'm going to remember, you know, from our conversation. Um, but also looking at your whole life and the faithfulness that you've shown uh, to the Lord and the Lord has shown it to you, giving you, the, you know, Jean and mm-hmm. the family. And fortunately, my children all followed it and my grandchildren are following right along. So uh, it, you it, blessed God well, and it, God blessed God's you blessing the family. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Well, Peter, it's, it's been so nice to talk with you. I think we're going to wrap it up for now. Maybe we'll have an encore and you can tell us other stories the next time. That would be great. OK, I feel comfortable with you. Now. Oh, good, good. 
Well, thank you. And um, please join us for the next <clears throat> journey. And uh, again, we invite you to talk about your stories, your encounters, uh, to inspire and encourage the rest of us. You've been listening to The Journey with our host, Kathy Wargle. WSJF will air a new conversation with Kathy each week. Please continue to listen for new interviews on The Journey from St. Joseph Catholic Community.